Hello. <laughs> Hello, Angela. Hi. Um, so, thank you for being here, Dr. Klein. We all really appreciate that you are willing to come and speak to us about the incredible journey that Bookophilia being created into a movie. That must have been absolutely an incredible journey. So, I just have a few questions for you today. Sure. Clearly you started off your early career um, in academia, so you have received your PhD um, in early modern literature, I believe. Mm -hmm. um, and so writing fiction and writing nonfiction are two completely different styles and with two completely different motives behind that. And so uh, was the transition from scholarly writing um, difficult for you at first? And if so, what challenge did you face when you were first writing Ophelia? Mm. It's a good question, um, and one that I haven't been asked before. So I appreciate the the perspective to reflect on academic writing versus creative writing. And um, I, as as an academic, I loved research and writing, but um, I always felt that I was trying to sort of shove my insights or my interpretations into this procrustean bed of theory. I was never good at theory. I never fully grasped it. I never really saw its utility. I was never just conversant in it. So my academic writing always felt a little bit um, not true to, to who I was and, and like a performance that I did for the sake of my academic career. To turn from that to um, creative writing to writing a novel was, was liberating. It was just amazingly liberating. And um, suddenly I, I could write what I, what I wanted to write. I, I realized that what I always wanted to do was tell stories. I had an interim detour from leaving academia to starting Ophelia, which was being hired by my, my church, Trinity Episcopal Church downtown, to write a congregational history. I gave that book everything I had and did a more original research for that book than I did for my dissertation and you know in the in the church archives and the Ohio Historical Society and I wrote a book that was a series of stories really about the congregation. That's what helped me decide I wanted to write stories but then I thought I want to make up my own story. <laughs> and um, you're probably thinking well why Ophelia? Why why Hamlet? And there was a, a bridge there too because you know write what you know and having never written anything creative before other than a short story long ago workshop um, I thought well what do I know I thought well I, I know Shakespeare pretty well uh, because it, as an assistant professor here at Ohio State I, I taught Shakespeare every quarter um, and in particular Hamlet um, had always intrigued me. Of course, it, it, everybody loves Hamlet. Everybody loves Hamlet. But one day, my class was being observed by a senior faculty member, and I spent the entire class time talking about the women in Hamlet and Hamlet's relationship with Ophelia and Gertrude. And uh, the professor afterwards couldn't understand why I would spend so much time on that. Why you know why that was really worth a whole class period on, and actually I spent two class periods on it, but I didn't mention it at the time, um, <laughs> and and it and it got me thinking, and the students responded well to it because especially female students always have trouble with Ophelia, right? She's why does she have to die? 
what was Shakespeare thinking? Um, why is she such an unsatisfying character? And so I, I felt like it was a, a pretty productive path to take. And so then when I thought about what should I write, of course came to mind right away, re rewriting Hamlet from Ophelia's perspective. And um, there again, not having written fiction before, I thought, how do I structure this? How do I even start a novel? I, I let Shakespeare be my guide. I took the play of Hamlet, and I thought, here's my, here's my structure. That was another bridge. You know, I, I, had, I had the connection back to, to Shakespeare, and I kind of let that be my, let that be my guide. Absolutely, and I think there's, there's credibility to the statement that fiction writing does lend itself a lot of freedom for interpretation um, of various works. And so um, there, obviously you have a vast background knowledge of Shakespeare and his works. Did you ever find it hard to toe the line between actual historical accuracy and being true to Shakespeare versus what your canonical world of Hamlet, but more specifically of Ophelia, was like? Did you, did you have a hard time creating your world in a way that was both true to Hamlet, but also true to the narrative that you wanted to tell. That was that was the challenge. But let me correct you, I do not have a vast knowledge of Shakespeare. I had an adequate knowledge of Shakespeare. And it's probably like faded, modest. it's probably faded since then. But um, of course I zeroed all my attention on thinking about Hamlet and reading about Hamlet and rereading Hamlet itself endless times. But um, I wanted to pay homage to Shakespeare at the same time, as you said, you know, um, creating my own interpretation. And I felt this, this respect for Shakespeare such that I thought, I'm not going to compromise the integrity of anything that happens in Hamlet. So when I say I use the structure of Hamlet as my structure, I really, I really mean that. There's nothing that happens in Ophelia that could not have happened in Hamlet, either before, off after, off stage, you know, somewhat like um, I, the model I took was Rosencrantz and Guildenstern Are Dead by Tom Stoppard. I just admired that play so much, what went on between the two of them when they weren't on stage. And I thought, I can do something like that with Ophelia so that her story develops between the lines of Hamlet's story. It was very important to me not to destroy or, or take, a, take advantage of Shakespeare's play, but to keep the unity of that play. It was not hard. Like I said, it even helped me structure, structure Ophelia's story. But I thought, I need to give her a life before uh, she turns up in Hamlet as Hamlet's girlfriend. So I did that. Since, of course, she survives her drowning, her designed, self-poisoning, you know, Juliet-type um, poisoning, I thought she has to have a life after, after Hamlet. So how can I do that in a, in a credible way? Um, and I, the question I kept asking myself was, I, I wanted to get inside Shakespeare's mind and think, how would Shakespeare have written a female character if he had decided to um, write a play called Ophelia instead of a play called Hamlet? Now, perhaps that's not something he could have even conceived of, you know, in his, in his cultural framework. Um, or, or there was just no, no value, no point to doing that until like the Duchess of Malfi came along a few years later, you know. But I, I did want to write a novel where the main character, Ophelia, was plausible within the constraints of her time frame, that is Shakespeare's culture. What was possible for a woman, what roles she might play, what resources she would have, and how she might 
contrive to escape a, a life-threatening situation. Yes, absolutely, and you do a wonderful job of that. And actually, having read the book myself um, earlier on in this week, in preparation for this interview, I really appreciated the prose and the style in which you write the character because it seems like she could have actually have been saying these things in the narrative um, in which you were writing it. I could see Shakespeare using these words, but at the same point in time, it's actually very accessible for a larger audience. And I think that's incredible because um, there are so many people that think Shakespeare isn't all that accessible. And to have um, a piece of fiction work that helps them engage with um, Shakespeare at the onset of their learning is really important, and I, I do really appreciate oh. that style of writing. Well, that was actually a purpose of mine, because when I taught Shakespeare, I would often try to teach a work of fiction or show a movie that, like studying King Lear, we'd read Jane Smiley's Thousand Acres, or um, uh, John Updike's Hamlet and uh, Claudius and Gertrude with Hamlet, just or Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead. And so I thought, I want to write the book that I want to teach with Hamlet, which would be a counterpoint to Hamlet, where Hamlet would be a foil to Ophelia rather than the other way around. And um, I originally thought of it as a book for college students, adults. Um, and when my agent saw it, she said, Ophelia is, what, 15 years old? You're really talking young adult. This is a young adult novel. And so it has to be... Um, um, accessible to a younger audience and I ended up making no changes because I'm not going to write down to teenagers they are sophisticated readers they can um, come to this on their own but it struck me then and it, it's happened this way that um, readers are coming to Ophelia before they've ever heard of Hamlet like high school English classes I've, I've spoken to many high school classes and the girls are just like wow this is such a great story and I'm like when you, we did Hamlet we, we read Hamlet and I was like but here's this other version or here I read this story about Hamlet and it, I sort of enjoy the subversive nature of reaching an audience before they've encountered Shakespeare and also the other part of that is lessening whatever reservation or fear they might have about reading Shakespeare because it's difficult, the language is inaccessible. And um, so I think reading Ophelia before you read Hamlet solves that too. And a lot of people who've never read Shakespeare say, oh, but I, I don't know Hamlet, so I can't read this, or, or am I going to be able to follow it? And it's like, well, yes, absolutely, because all of Hamlet is, is summarized in the little prologue. You know, you know the, the whole story right there, and then you go and you hear Ophelia's version of it. So, yeah. so it did end up being a book for teenagers, but I think it's really a book, a book for for everyone. And I, and again, you made your point about language. You said um, I made a point of using a lot of Shakespearean language and a lot of Ophelia's language, because if you look at Ophelia in the play, she actually speaks quite a bit. She speaks back to her father. She challenges um, Laertes. Um, she, you know. Hamlet tries to put his head in her lap and she rebukes him. Um, there's a lot of instances that show Ophelia being sort of controlled by the men in her life and her resisting. When she says, for instance, to her, to her father, my lord, I don't know what I should think. Like, is she being 
humble, like, I don't know what I should think, or is she like, my lord, I don't know what I should think. Is she being um, resistant and, and somewhat rebellious? So there's a, Shakespeare even gives us an Ophelia who is potentially very, very dynamic and whose words are erased or left out of a lot of productions of Hamlet. Absolutely, and just by the nature of plays, um, reading Shakespeare as just as like in his acts, it is very hard for um, your average high school student to really get the full scope of what Shakespeare is trying to convey because plays are supposed to be seen on stage. Mm -hmm. And that makes it a lot easier um, to understand really what's going on in the play. And even when I was in high school, that was certainly an issue. I feel like the beauty of Ophelia and how it is written is that it is sort of that stopgap. You never, you're never left wondering if Ophelia is one way or the next. You, she is very firm in her character, and I think that is really important because, um, I mean, women in Shakespeare are important too, and they do make the plot line move along at, at the pace that Shakespeare wanted it to. And so I think it's a really important book in that sense as well. And so I thank you for writing it because Ophelia was always one of my characters. That was one of my favorites as well. So Well, I loved writing it, and I still love the book, and I love talking about it. <laughs> <laughs> um, and actually, I'd like to start switching over to some of the questions that I had about um, the creation of Ophelia the movie in okay. 2018. Um, so, how were you initially approached by the production company in creation for Ophelia? Well, shortly after the book was published in 2006, uh, I heard from my agent that uh, a producer wanted to option the, the, the book for a movie. And that just means at that point uh, they pay you to reserve the right to make a movie eventually. And I just was over the moon. I'm like, oh my gosh, it's my first book. It's just come out and now somebody wants to make a movie out of it. I just thought, you know, it's like winning the lottery. And, and it's not ever something that I thought about when I was writing the book. It's just that just felt like pure serendipity. Um, and then um, 10 years passed, you know, and I would hear from the producer um, from time to time, either to renew the option or say, hey, I think we're close, we have a great actress for Ophelia, and I got a, I got a director who's really excited about it, and here's the screenplay, you know, I'd love for you to look at the screenplay and see what you think, and, you know, so I would have these, these times of, of high expectations and hope that this was about to happen, and then, oh, the director would go off and do something else, or the actress, you know, changed her mind or whatever, and then, um, suddenly in May of 2017, it was like it was the perfect storm. It's like everything was, was gelling and, you know, they had um, Daisy Ridley and Naomi Watts had signed on to do um, Gertrude and Mechtild, kind of a double role. And this great Australian director was into it. all these, these, and one of the producers was a woman. So we've got this, all these women working to, to make this happen. And suddenly it was green lighted which is when you get your, you know, your payment <laughs> that they <laughs> promised you 12 years ago if this ever gets made into a movie. And so then it was like, wow, this is on. And I, you know, made a quick trip plans to, to go to Prague to see some of the filming, and it was, it was very exciting. Absolutely. That sounds like an absolutely incredible experience. Um, and so 
and you kind of answered this a little bit, but I'd like further clarification. Um, so to what extent were you involved in the process of the actual creation of Ophelia as a movie? Like, were you able to make any decisions regarding what would be added or deleted? Because clearly a movie is not all, an entirety of a book on right, screen. Right. It's specific portions of it. Well, the short answer is no. <laughs> um, when you sign the contract, when you're like a nobody author like I was, you know, I'm not John Grisham or, you know, Margaret Atwood or anything who could argue or negotiate for a bigger role in the screenplay and the production. Just none of that. It's like, no, you, you sign it and you basically give, give it to them. It's handing it over and they can do whatever they want. And that was hard for me to accept at first, but I... I was fine with it, you know, like, who am I to, to tell you how to make a movie, really, you know, or what I insist be in the movie. I'm just not, no. <laughs> um, but that, that said, the, the producer was very gracious about showing me drafts of the screenplay, and like, like a professor with a graduate student paper, I just went at it with red ink and suggested, made all sorts of suggestions and comments and stuff, all of which were politely ignored as they should have been. Um, although in, in the end, I did make one or two suggestions that were, in, you know, incorporated into the movie, which I was very, I was very pleased with. I'm actually very interested to hear what suggestions oh. that you had made to the movie. Okay, like. well, the one thing was, um, as I read the final version of the, the screenplay, when Ophelia discovers her father dead behind the tapestry and Hamlet is being sort of hauled away, in the movie, Ophelia sticks with Hamlet a lot longer than she does in the book. So Ophelia is still trying to, to rescue hers and Hamlet's love at this point. And then Hamlet kills her father. And then after that, she's still trying to rescue Hamlet's. And I said, that's just not realistic. If, you know, my Ophelia, if Hamlet just killed her father, she's going to at least challenge him and say, what, what were you thinking? Why did you do that? Um, but there's nothing, no acknowledgement of that. And Ophelia just keeps on loving Hamlet. I thought that's just, she wouldn't do that. She wouldn't do that. She shouldn't do that. And so they just added a bit to the play, to the movie, when Hamlet is being dragged away after, over Polonius's dead body, he cries out to Ophelia, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And, you know, it's clear that it was an accident and that he didn't mean to and that he calls out his apology to her. It was a very small, very small thing, but I thought it was it was crucial in in convincing Ophelia that yes, there was maybe still something to resurrect their relationship because this was just a an abysmal accident. Right, absolutely. And it is a very powerful portion of the movie. It's one of the most memorable moments because I mean, it's just so emotionally charged, and I think it really does Ophelia's character justice, but also it shows Hamlet's degeneration very well, mm -hmm. I thought. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, that's a, it's a very interesting addition, and it's, it's, it certainly adds to the film. Um, and so, to wrap up a little bit, um, you've written a variety of other fictional novels, um, such as Love Disguised a personal favorite that I am hopefully able to read soon um, because the story of Longmall is one of my personal favorites. Oh, yeah. Good for you. Um, but do you have any other works in progress that you are excited about and or would like to tell us about? Um, after Love Disguised came out, 
things changed at Bloomsbury. My editor went somewhere else, and I started thinking about um, maybe I'm done writing for teens, okay. and um, I'd kind of like to write an adult novel and maybe feel a little more free to uh, write something that was controversial or m with more adult themes. And so I have written a novel about Tintoretto the painter and his relationship with his daughter. And then I, I submitted that and COVID struck. So, you know, things kind of ground to a halt everywhere. But meanwhile, I started writing another novel because you just don't stop writing because that's what you do. I think it's fun and sensational and horrifying, but it's been fun to write and it's it's a, a modern academic couple investigating the long ago case of a 16th century Hungarian countess who was reputed to have murdered hundreds of servant girls. And as it turns out, these two couple have, have ties to the countess and her, um, her nemesis who, who helped bring her down. And so that's been just kind of a fun, um, wild ride and I don't know if it'll ever get published but I'm hopeful that that as we're emerging from COVID publishing will pick up and I'll you know it's like starting all over to 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 break into an adult market when you've been writing for teens um, yeah well it certainly sounds like um, a plot with incredible potential it sounds absolutely amazing um, just just in the narrative structure of it it's something different because generally you stick to um, historically based events. It's, it'll be interesting to see the transition from, yes, there is a historical aspect, but the characters are living in the modern right, day. Right, that's something I've never done before, write a, a book that, that has two perspectives, one in the present day and one in the past. So was that transition hard then? I always try to do something a little different with each novel I write, and I think I'm more successful at writing historical fiction than in writing modern people and modern people speaking, <laughs> modern dialogue, modern relationships. I feel much more comfortable and, and um, proficient in writing, you know, a Shakespeare theme. Nobody knows exactly how people talked 400 years ago, so I, can, I, I feel like I have more leeway um, while still being really well grounded in the research because there's nothing worse than anachronisms in a historical novel. <laughs> so... Um, I try to avoid that. And so um, do any of your other books, are any of your other books currently on a production list for films? No, I wish, I wish. I think Lady Macbeth's Daughter would make a great series and Two Girls of Gettysburg would also. But, you know, that's, that's for somebody else to, <laughs> to do, to work on. Right, and so um, I guess a final question is, um, for any up-and-coming novelists um, or hopefuls out there, do you have any advice? Uh, read, never stop reading, never stop writing. And um, I did not write fiction until I wrote Ophelia. Um, I didn't really even keep a journal. So everybody's path is different, but I think the, the writers who consistently write um, are more more primed to be successful um, novelists. 
but I also think re reading is vital. Like I, like I said, I never took a creative writing course or course of study, but I think when you read enough novels, you just absorb how a novel works, how characters work, how you set mood, how um, natural dialogue, the rise and fall of a plot, how to propel things along, how not to let your research overwhelm the action you know I learned all this stuff when I was researching it and I'm gonna put it all in there because by golly my readers need to know that so you learn all that as a reader and as, as a reader who absorbs what you've read so just I think reading is is vital and writing of course and also um, letting time work on what you've written that is revision but also I don't think I wrote fiction when I was younger because I didn't have the experience. Um, there was nothing in me clamoring to get out as a novel, as an experience that I wanted to express in fiction until I was, like I say, in my 30s or 40s even. So it can happen any time, but I think if you start young and keep at it, you've got a much better chance. <laughs> All right, well, thank you so much for agreeing to do this interview, and it was lovely to have you here. Well, this has thank been you. delightful. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you.